What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 14 of Tuned Up on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike, and uh, today we have a very light, light news day, but very heavy uh, review show. We've got reviews for the second half of Infinity Train Book 3, The Owl House, Glitch Text, The Great, Great Pretender, and hoops. But before that, my co-captain Cameron will take us on the news rundown. So Cameron, what do you got? Well, first off, howdy, howdy. Um, well, while this first news piece doesn't really have anything to do with animation, we just want to, you know, say RIP to Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther, uh, and many more other roles uh, when he passed this week a few days ago uh, as of recording this to uh, colon cancer. Uh, This celebrity death hit me hard. Same. We will make sure to try to to have some uh, links to uh, charities or foundations to help out with uh, cancer research. And yeah, man, I, I'm sad he's gone. Now, unfortunately, the that is not the only death we have to talk about. Joe Ruby, the co-creator of Scooby-Doo, Dynamut, Alvin and Chipmunks, and many other uh, shows as a writer, producer, animator, and creator, has passed away at the age of 87. And, yeah, I, I mean, like, I know some sites are being slightly pedantic about, he's like, he did more than just create Scooby-Doo. Well, that's what most people know him for. And due to the time period of when those shows were coming out, that's all you're really going to remember. <sighs> I mean, yeah, that is, that is his claim to fame. Um, even though he and Ken Spears went on to create another I don't want to call them like a um like a significant rival to Hanna-Barbera but but yeah they they were a pretty significant rival for um in the 80s yeah no it's it's sad I mean he lived a pretty prolific life and yeah, and yes, not a lot of his shows are as fondly remembered, like uh, uh, Fang Face and the uh, the Plastic Man Comedy Adventure Hour. I definitely remember Thundar the Barbarian. And uh, I was a little too, well, I wasn't born yet when uh, the Saturday Supercade shorts were being made. But, you know, he's a legend in animation, no matter the in products and what kind of time period he made these in. Still got to pay a lot of respect. But now that is all for the, uh, the obituary part. Our next news topic is the recent announcement of the cast for Netflix and Guillermo del Toro's stop motion Pinocchio film. Uh, this includes uh, newcomer Gregory Mann as the titular Pinocchio, Ewan McGregor as Cricket, 
David Bradley as Geppetto. Um, and then it's also going to have Tilda Swinton, Christoph Waltz, Ben Wolfhard, Kate Blanchett, John Turturro, Ron Perlman, Tim Blake Nelson, and Vern Gorman. That's a pretty good cast. I'll say. Um, I, when, when I saw might Finn, be one of my this might, yeah. might be one of my most anticipated uh, Netflix or originals coming next year. Yeah, no, this looks exciting. And I mean, who knows how affected by COVID this production um, was hit by, but I, I can't wait to see it. It's Guillermo del Toro and dark fantasy. That's, that's really his bread and butter, no matter what else he works on. And it, it's interesting. When I first saw Finn Wolfhard in the cast, I thought he was going to be Pinocchio, but it makes sense that they get someone younger since Finn is growing out of the the Stranger Things age. Oh yeah, but man, I I, I love this, and I, I I'm always happy to see like Christoph Waltz. I wonder if he's going to be like the uh, the puppet uh, master or ringleader, or the he's going to be on the the island of the uh, boys misbehaving and such. On on Wikipedia, it says he's credited as the fox. Oh, so that's a good idea. Maybe a little typecasty, if depending on if he's going to put on like uh, his Inglorious Bastards role, but or maybe his Django Unchained role. But I, I can't wait. This this is a good cast, and oh, uh, they, yeah. they have an image of his uh, Pinocchio uh, visual, and that's a creepy looking Pinocchio. <laughs> Now, a while back, we talked about the recent voice cast mix-up happening in Hollywood and in the animation scene. One of those included, and was probably the first one to start the domino effect of voice changes, was Jenny Slate, uh, who was leaving Big Mouth, uh, who played the biracial character Missy, is now going to be... Uh, voiced by Ayo Edabiri, a actor and comedian. I, I I I like this casting. I've heard she's very funny. I listened to a little bit of her um, work, and she's a uh, like you know I think proper casting. I'll I'll admit I'm not too familiar um, with this actress, but I am very curious now to check out. Um, if if not if not Big Mouth, which I am overdue to catch up on anyway, then some of her other projects, like apparently she's um, she's co-producing um, a Netflix animated series called Mulligan with uh, Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. So that that should be that should be pretty fun. Yeah, no, and um, Big Mouth gets such a bad rep because of its art style. And yes, in any other show, one of them we'll be talking about soon, it would be a detractor. But the art style, due to the topics and subject matter of like puberty, growing up, and sex, it really adds to the overall tone and commentary that it's talking about. So don't shine Big Mouth because of its art style. That, that's just lazy. It's judging a book by its cover. 
Now, I understand if you don't care for the humor, which is fine, but just give it a shot. It get it gets pretty good as time goes on. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. I like that. It's just like with every first season. Not every first season can just be like like a hit right at right off the bat. It kind of has to feel feel itself. True, because even even some of the best series of all time never never hit it out of the park right away. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into the two major news stories. We have some Disney news. Um, Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada are taking the helm of Raya and the Last Dragon, along with um, a new cast change with um, Kelly Marie Tran voicing the lead. And, of course, some sites are kind of saying, like, this is chaos. They changed directors. And it's like, this happens all the time. This isn't yeah. like a bad production hell or whatever like some films have gone through. If, if this anything, is, this is pretty par for the course for, uh, for Disney. And I'm not saying this like to defend Disney. I'm just saying this is normal. Like if you go back through the production history of like Princess Mononoke when it was coming over here to the West, Tarantino was going to direct the English version of it and like write the scripts and then he was just like mm, i don't think i could do this well i'm gonna get neil gaiman to do it instead and that's what happened and <laughs> you know th this stuff happens all the time and sometimes it's definitely damaging or detrimental to the series or to the film but this time it's not and it's not like everyone is getting reshuffled Dean Willens and Paul Briggs are not are going to be like co-directors and producers on it, and so I, I'm excited. I I can't wait for to see more of Raya and the Last Dragon. The first image that they showed looks great, even if it might be concept art or might be a still from the film. You know, CGI is getting pretty good with texture technology and whatnot. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more from this movie. It um ever ever since they announced it at the last uh, D23, mm -hmm. it's it's been one that I that I really kept my eye on. Sadly, due to everything, we were supposed to get it this year, but but I will say, Carlos Lopez Estrada being attached to this is exciting because Blind Spotting is just an amazing movie. He is so good. And I know a lot of people are going to be snarky about it and be like, oh, well, he's also directing that quote-unquote live-action Robin Hood remake for Disney+. And it's like, you know what? Whatever. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm so tired of those kind of snarky side comments. You know? it's, it's, it's fine. He, de he deserved it after, after um, getting his, his, like, 15 minutes of fame from blind spotting yeah and blind spotting like i said watch blind spotting it's a fantastic movie so i guess nobody's heard i'm joking by the way the powerpuff girls are getting a <laughs> a live action series for cw not hbo max not animated live action 
Okay, and, I yeah, you let, 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 with, yeah, with this. let me start with this one because I have some thoughts. Go ahead. Um, very mixed thoughts too. On the mm. one hand, um, I on the one hand I like who they're getting to uh, to develop this series. It's it's being developed by um, by Diablo Cody. And, yeah, Heather Reg, uh, Regnier and uh, Diablo Cody, who, if you don't know, has written some of uh, Jason Reitman's best films. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she's just a really good writer in in her like on her own merits. So anything she's attached to, I I will give. I will give her the benefit of the doubt. Um, as as far as like, um, you know, this being a Greg Berlanti production, um, people who know me know that I, I am kind of obsessed with all of his superhero shows and and anything in the Riverdale universe. Oh, so, that's him. Yeah. Um. So I was I was always going to give this the benefit of the doubt anyway. The problem, the problem is foundational. Taking taking the Powerpuff Girls and translating them to live action, you have to be very careful because the whole appeal of of this property is the fact that they're animated. Mm-hmm. Um, like these like these characters have such specific. Um, designs, and not and not just them, but their their rogues gallery too. Um, I'm I'm scared to see how some of them will be depicted in live action, um, like the Gang Green Gang or um, oh gosh, <laughs> or Fuzzy Lumpkins. Oh, I was just thinking about him. Or uh, Mojo or, Jojo, or uh, just like I said, him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I can see the premise having a little promise where there are 20 somethings and they're disillusioned because they've had to be superheroes the whole time they were kids. But I am so tired of all of the, we gotta make these grow up, uh, property, like brain, like incarnations of children's shows. And it's like, We'll talk more about this later, but it's like so much of kids' TV, especially with animation, is wildly more mature than what is getting made for adults. And usually when they try to go at the angle of, we're going to make this more adult, more mature, it kind of backfires on them in different ways depending on what the product is. And... uh I don't see how this could work, especially like the entire point of Powerpuff Girls was to be like a parody of those 50s and 60s cartoons, but mixed with like the ultra violence of anime and such. That's why like everyone looks like they got the absolute tar kicked out of them anytime they ended up getting beaten by the three girls. Yep. It, 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 actually, this reminds me of that. Uh, I think either Matt TV or College Humor, I forgot where it was, a little animated parody of the Powerpuff Girls, but they were like making fun of that HBO show Girls. 
Oh, I I think that was a Mad TV um, sketch on Cartoon Network. Okay, yes. So that. So it's like, I I don't know. I kind of want to see out of pure curiosity. I, I just want to see what it's going to look like. That That's all. And I'm going to laugh if they try to go at the fact that the girls didn't have fingers. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to look kind of horrifying, but I'm sure kind of interesting in some ways. But if they actually go through that, but I don't know. I, I feel like after the reboot that partially failed or pretty much failed, they would just bring Craig McCracken back and just do another series or something. But I don't know. It's we'll just have to wait and see. There's nothing really to see from it. Speaking of McCracken, what is what is he up to these days? I wish I knew. He's such a um, good like cartoonist and such. And I know he did that Wander Over Yonder show for Disney, which uh, ended its run a few months a uh, few years ago. Uh, apparently, he's working on something called Kid Cosmic. Um, for Netflix, so we'll have to see how that ha- goes. I-, I like his work, so same. Um, so we'll have to see. Now, for something that I want to mm, rant about a little, the X Files is getting a animated comedy spinoff for Fox, and it's being made and written by the. Um, Brickleberry and Paradise PD teams, uh, the duo behind them. Oh, oh Lord. Oh my God. Good gravy. What on earth is this team duo of writers doing with X-Files? Have you seen Paradise PD? I haven't. Have you seen Brickleberry? Only like clips of it they're not good they're this is and again we'll talk about this when we talk about hoops the one thing i have hated about adult animation that wasn't bojack or close enough um is that now that they get to be on stuff like netflix they get to go as tasteless as possible and as shocking as offensive as gross because now they don't have to go by TV standards and they don't have to be wor- they don't have to worry about getting canceled. Uh, I just don't think this is a good idea, especially with that writing team. But I mean, who knows? Maybe. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> um I honestly I the the most the most I can say about this is just yikes. And we, we, like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of my thoughts will come out once we once we get to talking about hoops, but I I echo a lot of your sentiments like when it comes to adult animation. Like, like I said, we'll, for, we'll for talk me, about this. Um, yeah. For me, adult animation has to come with. With with a, it it ha- there has to be an and to it. It can't just be raunchy. Like Rick Rick and Morty is raunchy and sci-fi. Um, Solar Opposites is 
raunchy Violent. and yeah, raunchy and sci-fi, but yeah. more, but has more heart. Yeah, and close enough, which by the way is getting a second season, which yes. is great news. Um, is just low key and funny. Like, I still think there hasn't been a an adult comedy this year that has beaten close enough in terms of animated comedies that aren't like BoJack and and whatnot. And yeah, we'll we'll have to see how this goes. Uh, the apparently the creators of the X Files are going to be executive producers and. It's going to be called the X-Files Albuquerque, hmm. <laughs> which I'll admit that's kind of amusing, but uh, we'll have to see. And one last bit of news before we jump in. Over the Moon, the new Glenn Keane uh, CGI film, um, released its uh, sing like a lyrical video for its single, Over the Moon. But it also comes with a release date of October 23rd. I thought the song sounded great. It sounded very Little Mermaid, mm. which, you know, all things considered, who's working on this movie? Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I really liked the behind-the-scenes look of it during uh, Annecy this year when uh, Glenn Keane and the producers and art, I think art director were there and the trailer looks great uh, yeah. any, any um i i haven't i unfortunately haven't had a chance to watch the um the lyric the like the music trailer yet but man over the over the moon i i'm i'm so excited and kind of nervous that this is this movie's going to wreck me um yeah. if for, the, for those who don't remember um this this movie is a is a posthumous release for the the screenwriter Audrey Wells. She passed away um, two like two years ago on um, October fourth, two thousand eighteen. Um, and yeah, she died. She died of cancer, um, like pretty pretty much before uh, she died before the release of The Hate You Give um great movie great movie so i i i can i can just tell that this 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 movie just feels like it has so much passion um overflowing and i can't i can't wait to see um glenn keen making making his uh directorial debut yeah, for the to be clear, just theatrical debut, right? Uh, directorial, just just in case, because you know he's directed shorts like the Oscar-winning uh, *Dear Basketball*, and uh, and he's co-directing with uh, John Cars of who made the short *Paper Man*. Um, and speak uh, just before we jump in, I just wanted to say uh, I made a executive decision this past week uh, since we're talking about major film releases. Unless Sony and Pixar are planning to release uh, Connected and uh, Soul on demand at, on the same time as their theatrical release, uh, 
we're not planning on covering those since I don't want to put anyone's health at risk for this podcast do, until everything is either those get put on demand or uh, or we'll wait until they hit on demand at a later point. Yeah, so we, I, we don't we don't want to put anyone at at risk unnecessarily. Yeah, especially our viewers and i know some people i like i know on like twitter and such are going to theaters that are of course taking as many safety precautions as possible i just don't feel good about saying yeah go see this movie and risk your health so i i'm i just can't do that as a uh critic and this was partially inspired by the av club's review or editorial talking about why they weren't covering new mutants but i was already thinking about this beforehand and then that editorial came out and i just i i felt like i just yeah i don't want to risk anyone's health so but we'll have plenty to talk about we already have plenty to talk about so mike you start us off um oh yeah let's let's dive into our heavy plate of animated series for this episode. But before we get to the good stuff, we have to uh, rip off the Band-Aid. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about hoops. There, there's, like, there, there, there's no way, there's no way I can get around saying this. Hoops is the worst series that I've seen this year. I I got to get that right out off my chest because as, as we've repeatedly said um, throughout this episode, adult animation can't just it can't just rest on its laurels of we're we're adult that's that means we can be naughty like you you have you have to have more 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 substance than that and this show has has none yeah so far hoops in terms of new cartoons that have come out this year is by far and away at least to me and to mike the worst new cartoon of 2020. I know a lot of hard people uh, worked on it, and I know some talent is behind it. However, that doesn't excuse the fact that this show, and from the anim uh, animation uh, news network, or uh, the a AWN article uh, talking about this with Jake Johnson and the creator of the show, comes off like they were having more fun than anyone else will ever have with this show and I just do not like this show at all I thought Crossing Swords was going to be the bottom of the barrel for this year but Hoops somehow wedges its way forcefully under Crossing Swords to be at the bottom again nothing against the people who worked on it i'm not, we're not aiming any of this criticism personally at you but just at the show in general 
where do we start, Mike? Um, how about we start with the fact that they have a very talented cast and all of them are wasted on material that is very, very beneath them. Um, yes. Start, starting with the two main, main leads, Jake Johnson as coach Ben Hopkins, a quick-tempered, foul-mouthed basketball coach at Lenwood High School. And is it just me, or is Jake Johnson um, basically just doing a Jason Alexander impression the whole time? He's doing a very much like a Jason Alexander, like a duck man, Jason Alexander. It, yes, I was saying um, the exact same thing. And so the whole premise of Hoops is that Ben Hopkins, is, yeah, like we said, um, voiced by Jake Johnson, is a quick-tempered, foul-mouthed basketball coach at Linwood High, who thinks uh, turning around his, as Wikipedia puts it, god-awful team will take him to the big leagues and turn his miserable life around. So the rest of the cast includes Ron Funches as Ron, the assistant coach, and who's dating uh, Ben's now estranged wife, or ex-wife, Cleo King, as Opal Lowry, the sassy black pre uh, principal of Linwood High, and Natasha Leguero uh, as Shannon, Ben's ex-wife, A.D. Miles, a, a seven-foot-tall 16-year-old who's the, the, you know, the star athlete of the basketball team, Rob Riggle as Barry Hopkins, uh, Ben's legendary basketball player who owns like a one of those gimmicky Vince Young style steakhouses <laughs> and then of course we have like Nick Swartzen, Sam Richardson, Ben Hoffman, Eric Edelstein, Mary Holland, Gil, Gil Ozeri, and Steve Burke. So the biggest problem for me with this show is that I hate every single character. I think Ben Hopkins is a uh, is an obnoxiously character. He's a toxic man-child who is sad that his life isn't better and he is so insufferably annoying. I just could never find any point in time even as I remember right now like any time where I was on his side. And even when he tries to be uh, sincere and likable, it backfires. And that's partially the point, but it's also a show that still plays into saying this man-child is the ideal hero. Mm. Yeah, and, I, yeah. I, I agree with a lot of that. And what, what frustrates me the most is that I I understand this series like isn't necessarily trying to have an overarching story, but since that's just kind of the natural trend of animation anyway, um, it tries to <laughs> like um, Hopkins begins the series, you know, an insufferable hot-headed jackass. And ends the series 
in a much worse place than he started. Like, he it, would, it, yeah. like it, it feels like he may have learned like a few lessons along the way just through plot contrivances, but he be he becomes like so much worse in the last like five minutes of of the finale. Yeah, no. He, when your character ends up in a worse spot than where he began, that's a huge problem. You cannot have a show like that. And you you think that like everyone else would like either put him in his place, but they don't. And they also are kind of like, oh yeah, maybe Bob is, uh, or Ben, sorry, is the hero we deserve. And it's like, no, no, it's not. And then it's just like, this is the same problem that shows like Alan Gregory had, where the show cannot for it, for like its own life, like make him sympathetic enough because he, well, he, he can't, he's not. And is, do you think the problem is like, when they try to make him sympathetic, he comes off as more, as like more whiny and more selfish? Yes, absolutely. And okay, fine. You can have an, a jerk character as the lead, but like we've said, you need more to it. And we've seen stuff like Bender from Futurama, Duckman, Bojack Horseman. Uh, there's more to those quote-unquote jerk characters and there is nothing to to ben and it's like the whole show again just feels like it's trying to say this is the proper idea of a man it's like that meme that goes around where it's like this is the ideal man you may not like it and it's always like but then people take that meme and make it ironic with uh, like having danny devito from it's always sunny (laughs) in a photo and such but, uh, and all this would be fine if the show was actually funny. It's not. I, I don't remember a single laugh. At least with Crossing Swords, I remember a chuckle here and there. I don't remember one joke that worked. I, I can think of one, and literally only one. There, there's, a, there's an episode called Death, where where after a teacher passes away and for some reason a food delivery guy um a um a grief counselor comes to visit the school to help the students and the only reason it's the only reason it's funny is because of her reaction to um the adults who come in to to vent about their problems yeah they, yeah, they hijack the uh, the morning section of, like, dealing with death and such. And I think it had a good p- setup, but I don't remember the punchline landing at all. Yeah, and that's, that's, an- that's another um, jab at this series. They, ha- they, they do a terrible job of sticking the landing on any setup that would have been even remotely interesting. Yeah, and you think with, 
I don't know what Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are doing on this show as executive producers. Why? I guess when I see them on there, I expect something from them to be in the movie. This is one there of the goes. first times where I honestly think that they have been asked to literally just put their names on this to entice like to entice casual audiences like like you watch you watch like a a trailer and it says from the producers of um 21 jump street or the lego movie yeah yeah it'll be like hmm i like those things i'll go check out this totally unrelated thing nope (laughs) like that is so that is so cynical to to do that and then not deliver on the expectation that comes with with those two name. being attached to something exactly because even at least with Nin, uh, Lego Ninjago and Storks, those two films have their blue like their fingerprints on it, even if they didn't write anything. Oh, of they course. still. And I listen. I don't like. Um, indulging into the animation crowd that are like, oh, all animated shows for adults look the same and all look cheap and terrible. But, well, this, one, but this one does. Let's and be honest. And yes, it does. It is so bland looking. And it doesn't have to. This is Bento Box Entertainment, the same people who produced uh, Bob's Burgers. Like, it doesn't have to look bad. Well, it's... I'm guessing... They and this is the same people who did like Central Park, which we will tackle once the uh, uh, new voice uh, over stuff is recorded. Um, and but this is also the same people who do Duncanville and Paradise P- PD and that short lived show that nobody talks about, Border Town and uh, Perfect Hair Forever. God, late. Um, and Al- oh, of course, of course, they worked on Alan Gregory and Brickleberry. And like, yeah, and Brickleberry. At least Neighbors from Hell had like a slightly more vibrant animation to it. But oh, it doesn't look good. This I think this show had. I don't want to put it on uh, the art director or art direction, who whoever was in charge of that. But the show looks bland. And it only reinforces that all adult animated shows for and look the same. And you know, normally I don't I really don't like saying, man, I hope this show gets canceled. But I do not want to see another season of this show. And and it's also because this show revels in just hateful comedy it is every rainbow color of the rainbow of phobic it's homophobic it's fat phobic it's as everything hateful about it and do you do you can you think of one thing this show does right nope not a single thing and like like, yeah this is also one of those one of those examples of um a show like <sighs> this is also the diff. We we talked about bef- before the difference between um, adult and mature in terms of the tone and the and the writing. 
there's also a difference between diversity and tokenism. And even, even though the show does feature, um, like it does feature, um, well, it has like three black characters, one gay character. Yeah. They're like, there, there is some representation, but again, this is this is tokenism at its finest. Yeah, there's no good representation. You better be the toxic masculinity-driven man-child, or else everyone else is just not good at all. Like no one, nobody's good. But it keeps reinforcing Ben as like the superior alpha male of everyone. Like, there's no good black characters. The gay representation doesn't work. And the three black characters, <laughs> they are every stereotype under the sun. And, man, I, I'm i sorry. We had to open up a case of Mad Mike and Krabby Cam. Uh, I wish this show was better. Nope. Nobody goes into wanting to hate a show. It might not give off the best first impression from trailers, but you want to be hopeful, you know, that you walk in, you'd be surprised, or you may even love it. But this is where the marketing matched the quality. Mm -hmm. uh, again, this is absolutely the worst show, because at least Crossing Swords has a few funny lines, and at least it progresses the story despite all the characters being terrible. I don't recommend this show, and for some reason, it's still in Netflix's top 10 for this week. You could be watching every any other show that we're about to talk about, and you absolutely should watch anything else. We, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the shows that we actually want to talk about in a minute, but... My final verdict for Hoops is I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Um, yeah. Like, th this is, this, this flavor of adult animation is a dime a dozen. There's nothing about this, um, there's nothing about this that's special or deserves your attention over like the bajillion other shows just like it. Yeah. Like there 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 are there are better shows aimed at adults that I would feel more comfortable recommending than this. Yeah. Watch close enough. Even yes. though it's getting a second season, just watch close enough. That's the and watch solar opposites. I might have been mixed on it, but it's way better than hoops. I'd even argue that the current run of Star Trek Lower Decks, which I'm kind of just eh on, is way better than this. And yeah, just avoid it. Just watch any other show because ironically with what we're going to be talking about next, these next few shows are way more mature and adult than this could ever hope for. So the, fir the first of these that I think we need to talk about um, is one of, one, of the, one of the darkest series aimed at um, 
aimed at a younger demographic, and that is Infinity Train, book three. Yeah. Um, now, on the previous episode, we, we got to talk about episodes one through five because that's, that's where the show um, was at that point in time. Yeah. But now, now that it's finished, we can, we can uh, finish our conversation. Um, so I'll ask, I'll ask you this, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Were any of your theor- were you right about any of, any of your theories? Partially. Because who knows where this could have gone. Um, we are partially right about Hazel being part of the train. Because you don't turn into a turtle monster unless you were like a Kappa or something that got sucked into the infinity train. <laughs> and I think it was interesting. But what, was inter- what I didn't expect is for the return of our pseudo-antagonist, now protagonist, from the first season, the false conductor. Oh, Amelia. Yeah, Amelia. And, um, and what happens, of course, spoilers, but, you know, we're recording this after the show, the season's finished show, so, but, but still. Uh, she makes, she has been going through the train trying to fix everything to, uh, you know, redeem herself. Um, And during that point, she ends up taking Hazel, um, like, right before the show ends. And, or at least the season ends. So we don't really know what's going to happen to Hazel, and I'm sure this was going to be like the buildup for Infinity Train Season 4, where it was going to be about Amelia and uh, Hazel. Oh, yeah, because um, I can't remember if I pointed this out last time, but a pattern I noticed with Infinity Train is that Episode 7 of each book is the tease for the next the next. Um, the next season like in book one episode seven introduce us to to mt yeah Mir- yeah mirror tulip um book two introduced us to the apex and simon and grace and it looks like book three is book setting four. up or episode seven of book three sets oh up, yes um sets up book four which could be Amelia and Hazel on a quest to fix the train. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we don't exactly know what the setup will be. And depending on if this show gets renewed or not, we may never know, which I'm not going to blame season three's flaws for that, but I'm worried. I want more of this show, but uh, let's get back on track. (laughs) Let's get back on track. Um, Oh, Hang on, I want to point on. I want to point on another uh, pattern I noticed. Um, episode episode nine is the tape episode. Um, in book in book one, we had let's let's pull this up. Um, oh yeah, book book one is when Tulip and like Tulip uh, goes to uh, like goes through Amelia's tape. Mm-hmm. Um, 
book two book two is when um mirror mirror tulip is like trying to find her way out of out of the, tra- the yeah, train. train and like she she gets to take a look at the um like the tape Pro- factory yeah the, the process of how they make the tapes yep and this season we are in uh, grace's mind yeah it's her redemption uh episode and or like the final ignition igniter of her redemption story right something i also noticed about the second half of the of the show the cars became less the obstacle and more so just kind of the an environment a setting for the actual conflict of uh grace dealing with hazel's new identity new identity and simon's begrudging uh like like he he doesn't want to redeem himself he's still too stuck on the fact on the thought of having a higher number means more and that the current conductor is still is the false conductor instead of the other way around and and like i i thought the origami car was very symbolic of that where you see Grace avoid stepping stepping on the origami birds, but Simon just crushes them. And by the end of that sequence, Grace ends up uh, re, uh, refolding and making sure that origami animals are okay. And that they end up helping her in the end. While Simon goes full Escape from New York and Mad Max on the rest of the Apex kids, and well, the second part of this theory was there was no way Simon was going to get redeemed after basically murdering uh, Tuba. Yeah, I I pointed that out last time that there there is no way that Simon gets out of the train alive. Um, the end the ending of episode five was from from like a from a character um, perspective, his point of no return. Like even exactly, e- even if they were trying to redeem him, um, like uh, there's there's no there's no way that a his redemption would be believable, and b that I like in universe I don't I don't even think he could be redeemed. He's he is too far he's too far gone yeah no our uh, pal Ruben Barron on CBR posted an article talking about that where in an age where shows are trying to have multi-dimensional villains uh, like redeem themselves Infinity Train kind of draws the line in the sand where it's like oh this guy's not going to be redeemable like sometimes there are people out there who are just stuck in their ways and they don't want to look for redemption and we find out and uh our review are shown our first human death in infinity train history and boy is it gruesome he basically gets killed by one of those gorm uh goms or gorms i i, uh, I call them gorms. gorms oh gorms 
and you finally find out, find out what exactly happens when one of those catches you. He basically disintegrated. <laughs> like, he, he basically turned, like everyone's referencing, he turned into the Nazis at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when their face is melting. Yep. Now, imagine, imagine if you're like a 7 to 11-year-old watching that for the first time. Just imagine how <laughs> scarred for life you'd be at that, at that image. Yeah, no. <laughs> like I was just like, oh man, because otherwise they've like anytime someone's died, it was either like an explosion or they cut away from it. No, they show full on him disintegrating into dust. There's a tinge of sadness where like after he pushes Grace off the train and he's maniacally laughing and he's kind of crying, he's like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? But he's too far gone. To, re- to really let, let that hit home. And I think that was a perfect death. <laughs> he was never going to get off the train, and he finally got his number up the highest, and that wasn't going to do anything to him. It was like a false like, a, like goal and such. Mm-hmm. Now, I liked Grace's arc. I, I liked number lower to the point and the fact that we may never know what is that they kind of abruptly cut the ending short like after grace kind of becomes the leader well not even like the leader of the apex he just says like listen what we were doing was wrong and i'm gonna find my way off this train and you all should too and that's when all the numbers on everyone starts dropping like flies and I like the ending. I just think it was like a little like abrupt, but that's just kind of me. I kind of hate that when like Japanese animated films do that where they'll just like and cut and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's it 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 feel it feels a little bit too open-ended like 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 it it's like ending ending um a song on on a minor note as opposed to as opposed to a major, like it, right. it, it, it leaves you in a very, um, it, like it, it, it kind of leaves you hanging. Yeah. And especially with the fact that we don't know if this show is going to get renewed or not. It's not a very, I don't want, it's not a bad ending. It's just slightly under, well, I guess underwhelming but I'm not entirely sure if that's how I would describe it because Grace's story is now over. It's kind of left open, but I'm sure she's going to get off the train along with those kids. But we'll have to see. I hope the show gets renewed. This is such a good show. And if this was released this year, this would obviously be the best show of 2020. Oh, easily. Because this show has shown how to be mature even for a young audience in mind. And just to show that, like, you can make cartoons for anyone. And you can go as dark as you can't want, as long as you have a good payoff. And Infinity Train has been, like, one of those perfect bundles of, uh, like, dark, mature, but then a, a fantastic payoff. Yeah, they... they... They seem to love the Don Bluth approach to storytelling, where yeah, <laughs> um, they will throw like all like the worst 
like the like the worst situations. Yeah, like they they will they will throw all the trauma toward towards kids, but it's fine as long as you have a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no um not much to talk about with this one since it's the second half. Um I like the twists and turns. I like the overall story. I thought season three was great. Um, I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask you this to wrap, to wrap things up on Infinity Train. How would you rank this among the three books so far? Well, I think it would go two, one, then three in terms of best to least best. But it, it, I, I'm sure depending on my mood, uh, it'll fluctuate just like the train cars themselves because one thing that season three has that the other two don't is the wildly gut-wrenching and unavoidable cry session that is hazel's lullaby Mm. and i cried hard when i heard her the you know don't be a worry baby no need to hurry baby when you're with me it's such a touching song. It's probably the best scene of the entire season. But what about you? Where? How would you rank uh, the three seasons so far? I think I would go... Honestly, I think I might go three, one, two. Because book one, I think, is is the perfect... It's like the perfect um, singular season of television of the like the 2010s right um and i really like book two but i think book three has more it has more meat on it and it's it's fascinating when you have like two antagonists as like the like yeah yeah Yeah, that I, i mean really you can't go wrong with any of these seasons like I I can I can't say there was one where it was like oh that was the obvious weak point of the show. It's not like Community where there's obviously that one season where Dan Harmon wasn't a part of it, um, where everybody says it's a weak point. And even though there's only three seasons, even though uh, Owen Dennis has said they've planned out eight seasons of content, um, you you can't go wrong. So far, the show's just been great all around so guys if you want to see more of infinity train you have to watch it on hbo max yes sorry i know it's not easy and i know some people like to torrent and pirate but if you can get access to hbo max please do watch it viewership i know i i hate the dangling of the carrot of oh oh, you might get a new season if you watch it. Oh, and I hate that. I understand why people don't like that, but viewership counts. There's a reason why so many people on like content creators on like YouTube need like a certain number of views every single time or else things or a lower view count hurts them. It's the same with everything here. Please watch Infinity Train. If you want more, if you want the full eight-season uh, buffet, you have to watch the show legally or at or any way you can. And at least if you torrent it, 
send out notes or like tweets, letters, emails to the team that makes Infinity Train or to the HBO Max and Cartoon Network. Let them know that you want more. Yes, because that's, that's the only way that they will know that, that there's a demand. And also see if they can bring back Mag- Magus XLR and Symbionic Titan, but that's beside the point right now. <laughs> the, the, those, are, those are bo- those are bonus uh, yeah <laughs> bonus items. sorry but no but seriously watch infinity train it's not only one of the best shows around it's one of the best cartoons of i would argue all time just watch it watch it support it let's get those five other seasons but i will say this to hbo max and cartoon network do not split up the seasons do not do that again <laughs> Yeah, this this time just give it to us all in one sitting. Yes, please. That's all. Just do that for if, us. If, if for if for no other reason than because each episode is only eleven minutes long. Yeah, and it's... this is this is one of the easy easiest shows to binge, and I would I would I would rather do that with with a show like this. Just take it yes. all in at once. Take it all in, and because you do that with other shows, you did that with Tig and Seek. Do that with ever. Do that with infinity train and again we're going to run this into the ground watch infinity train make sure cartoon network and hbo max are aware that you want more all right um now taking a a slight deviation away from the streaming shows we have we have one um i guess traditional broadcast series but it's a good one it's disney's the owl house which i i teased we were going to talk about last time but now that Cameron and I are both caught up and the season is concluded we can dive into the whole thing yes um Cameron I'm just I'm gonna start with you because you um because you didn't get to say your piece last time well yeah that was because I didn't watch it at that point in time um but well how, how should I start this it's kind of hard to talk about this show right now because it it gets instantly compared to uh, J.K. Rowling and her Harry Potter franchise. And since J.K. Rowling has turned out to be one of the worst human beings around by being a transphobic garbage fire of a human being, I don't have any ill will by saying this, but the Owl House is a better alternative and a superior alternative to the Owl House. I mean, to Harry Potter. Because the Owl House is one of the best cartoons of 2020. Yeah, I I agree. So our plot includes a younger, a teenager named Luz, uh, Luz Noqueda, voiced by Sarah Nicole Robles. Um who has a bit of an attention issue or just like an ex- a excited imagination that gets her in trouble. She is at first going to a super not fun uh, summer camp. Stay inside the box. Yeah, stay inside the box. <laughs> and, but she ends up uh, Wizard of Ozing herself into a new world in a place called the Boiling Isles, where she ends up meeting 
And, well, and by the way, the Boiling Isles is on the remains of a dead titan. So fun visuals there. She ends up encountering and befriending a rebellious witch named Ida the Owl Lady, voiced by the incredible Wendy Malick. And after some shenanigans ensue, Laws, uh, Laws and uh, ends up befri- like li- living with Ida, and she tr- starts to train as an apprentice witch while also dealing with making friends, dealing with this new magical world, and maybe the darker sides that come with it. This show is great. <laughs> like, I have no hesitation to say that. To say that. I loved this cartoon. It's, it's also just, like, it has a terrific sense of humor. Oh, gosh. It's, well, it's a very smart show. It flips a lot of the uh, tropes that would come with something like this. Like, for one thing, they totally ignore the chosen one narrative for the main character. She kind of, like, dances around that trope. But then it's like, no, you don't need to be the chosen one to be an amazing witch. Which is what Star Wars was trying to set up with Rey but botched. This is that taking that idea excuse me, and running with it. it. Like, I just love that. And I love that she's not like, oh, I know all the magic. I like how they handle that. I like that she can only use spells with paper, like spells, circles that are drawn on paper. She's not like using a, a wand or a, sta- or a wizard staff or anything like that. And she's very like, I like Laws Laws as the uh, as our main character. I think she's she's bubbly, she's funny, very expressive, and she and her facial animation is different from what you normally see with cur- the current trend of animated cartoons for kids. Mm-hmm. She she very she definitely has um, a a wider variety of facial expressions. Although one of my favorite characters is um, kind of has the opposite of that. It's a little, a small, like wolf like demon voiced by Alex Hirsch named King. <laughs> and what I love, what I love about King's design is he's, he basically looks like a, um, like a black skinned version of Cubone from Pokemon. <laughs> um, but he he has like he has like no mouth movement. It's his expressions are all in the eyes. Yeah. And he this this guy steals pretty much every episode. Like he steals like every scene that he's in. Yeah. No, uh, King is a great side character. And I want to talk about another one, but we'll get to him soon, who is also played by Alex Hirsch. But um what did you think of Ida the Owl Lady as like the rebellious mentor who does like offbeat magic and whatnot? Um, first of all, I think I think uh, Wendy Malick is the perfect actress to play this character. And oh, she's perfect. And she's also kind of playing against type too, because usually her characters are like the um, 
they're like the more high strung or like the thick in the mud. Yeah. Or, the, yeah. or like they're they're like um usually when I think of Wendy Malick, I immediately think of the Jimmy Neutron character, um, beautiful, gorgeous. Oh, yes. Yeah, but, and uh, well, didn't she play her too? Uh yep. <laughs> no, she uh most people would know her from like Just Shoot Me and Frasier. And here she gets to be kind of like the fun aunt. Of... Yeah, that's that's exactly um what I what I love about her. Like she's she's basically the female version of like a like a Master Roshi from from Dragon Ball. Like she yeah. she's the she's like the sillier kind of wise mentor. And she and she's like great too. She's she's powerful, she's witty. And uh I saw this on Twitter the other day, but they made someone made a compilation of anytime she snorts. <laughs> and and I, Wendy Malik brings such a performance to her. And I when I first saw the trailer for Owl House, I kinda I called Ida the uh, Disney Ryoko from Tenchi Muyo <laughs> because she has like the same kind of almost the same visual look and kind of the same type of character uh, just without all that anime BS tied to it to Ryoko um, and she was like a good rock to the overall plot like sure she was comedic and snarky but I, I love these characters. I think uh, the creator, Dana Terrace, did a good job just bring it, making some really fun characters in general. But I want to talk about my, uh, before I move on to the other characters, I want to talk about my favorite side character. It's oh. the, it's the, and you, I've been talking with Mike on and off since I've been watching this show. Hootie is my favorite side character. Like, on top of king stealing scenes hootie also steals every scene he sees security to the owl house and he has no sense of personal space he he is just does not read the room and he gets into shenanigans that are just <laughs> they're just genuinely funny i don't think there was ever a time where i was just like oh my gosh i don't want hootie on screen because make, Hootie as a character could easily get annoying, and I can understand if people find him annoying. Um, but hold on, I have something to add about that. Yeah. Like that was that was exactly um, Hirsch's approach to voicing the character. Like he he gave he gave a voice that was like deliberately the like the most annoying thing. Like I I don't even think I don't even think Hirsch was like supposed to um, be the voice for this character. He's he just happened to be performing like scratch vocals, yeah. But they they somehow just like went along with with that as as the character, and it worked. It works perfectly because oh, yeah. yeah, like he's he's one of those one of those like annoying characters that like in universe all the character like everyone agrees that like that, he's like, the worst. <laughs> yeah. But oh man, they're like he'll like stretch his neck at the at the front of the house. Like he he his face is on the front door, and he'll like stretch around and he'll be like going to Luz's room. He'll be like good morning, and they get punched. He's like oh, I was just giving you a good morning. Gosh, and then like 
go right back to the door or he'll like roll around in the mud for some reason. <laughs> I think that was my favorite scene until until um, episode 18. <laughs> I, I love the one, is that the one where he like, where he has like an off-screen adventure with a fly? Uh, and he's just like, or what, 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 or what, no, oh, no, wait. Episode 18 was the one where he took out all those uh, cult members, right? At the beginning. Yeah. Uh, my favorite moment was when he has an entirely off-screen adventure, and at the end of the episode, he's just like, well, Fly, it's just you and me, best buds. We had just such a good adventure. Too bad nobody was there to see it. And then he eat, ends up eating the fly <laughs> at the end. He's like, oh, this is what friendship tastes like. A bug. <laughs> oh, wait. The, the other one was, um, it was from Once Upon a Swap. <laughs> when, like, um, King, Ida, and Luz, um, they, they are, they, like, they, they have, the, they have this bet where, like, um, oh, yeah, they, they can be better, be the better version of one another. Yeah, and, like, the, and the loser has to clean, clean Hootie. <laughs> but, like, the, the punchline for that is, it kills me every time I even think about it. Uh, what what was the punchline? Oh, um, or, like it's the the last scene is like they 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 come home and and Hootie is like rolling around in the mud like um, <laughs> don't forget oh. it's time it's time for my monthly cleaning. Oh gosh, and I'm uh, yeah. on mucus, but don't let that stop you. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, oh man. And then, yeah, episode 18, when the house was about to get uh, ransacked by the evil uh, witch cult, uh, he ends up, like, beating the tar out of all of the mem- of the mem- of the goons. And then he almost gets killed and then saves himself by sheer stupidity of, like, oh, look, what's this on the ground? It looks like a dead bug. Then this beam of light of energy, like, misses him. He's like, oh, wait, it's just a leaf. Oh well, that's good too. It eats the leaf. <laughs> oh gosh, but Hootie's, also Hootie is the best. Hootie is the best. They better keep him as annoying and as hilarious. I mean, don't overuse him. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm tempting fate or asking too much from the monkey's paw. I kind of want to see what they could do and how creative they can get with an episode that's all Hootie. I don't know if it could work, but. Uh, I'd, I, I'd I love just, I'd love to see them try. Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, he also throws up all the mail. He's like, "Oh, something's in my throat!" <laughs> but also the but the world itself is creative. And like one of my little favorite jokes is when uh, uh, this is like I think episode two when uh, Luz is in the market and she's just like, "Hey, would you like to buy some magic?" And she's talking to like a beefy centaur looking character and then it turns out the centaur's face is on his chest <laughs> and it's like my eyes are down here and <laughs> and um and then like partially through the show luz goes to a magic school to learn um about witchcraft which this might be the first show to make the term witch gender neutral like, I don't know, maybe it's just because of how culture has shaped the idea of a witch. Be- it's like, you can be a male witch. 
because they don't try to put like a gender to it like boys are wizards girls are witches or something like that like you can yeah, be like, um it's I, I i think i think like they they at least call like they, they, they at least call like the performing of the magic just witchcraft it's it's not it's not like gender specific which, which I, I think is, which is great yeah and she meets and loves meets um some friends willow a uh witch person a witch student who uses plant magic and augustus gus porter a um who's skilled in illusionary magic but is also the president of the human club oh yeah the human appreciation club <laughs> because there are no humans in uh, the Boiling Isles, or in this world in general. You're either, I guess, demons or wit or elves. And then, probably one of the best characters in the show, Amity Blight, voiced by Katara herself, Mae Whitman, who is, like, starts out as the bratty, like, popular girl, but even, then... Even then... They're they're really smart about her character because, like, she's not she's not just she's not just your typical bully, but she's a, she's actually a good student. Um, she's like at the top of her class. Um, she's the daughter of two rich, um, like, rich parents. Yeah. So she's she's kind of pretty much forced into hanging with the popular kids. Yeah, there's a scene in one episode where you find out that she didn't stop hanging out with Willow because of stupid artificial popularity rankings. It's because her parents were like, well, she doesn't know enough magic, so don't hang out with her. And it's like, first of all, you two are terrible parents. And they don't, yeah, they don't stick her as the school bully for long, which, which is nice. They do have a more generic bully character um, as the show goes on, but May, uh, Amity is a great character. I love her, and I like, well, I like her design. I like Mae Whitman's performance, which is, shows that Mae Whitman is a great character actress. I don't think just, she's ever given a bad uh, voiceover performance. No, she's great in, like, mostly, well, from what I've seen, everything that she's in. And, um, and, of course, we can't talk about this show without talking about the, uh, news of Luz, uh, Luz being Disney's first official bisexual character, where she and, uh, and Amity are, uh, well, let's just say they're going to be a couple, and <laughs> they're they're end game. We all we all know this, but like that that Disney is fully supporting um, a like a bisexual protagonist is at least for, at least for animation that's a big step for them. It is, and I know it's like. I know everybody can be like, well, Steven Universe was walking circles around these shows because it was doing that way before Adventure Time started diving into that and before uh, Owl House. But 
it's good for Disney to start doing this because we were talking about this where Disney needs to start accepting the fact that there's more to the market, to audiences than just straight people. And this is a really good start. I want them to keep going with this. Please just keep going with this. At, be inclusive now. You, you can't back down from this anymore. Because apparently there was some trouble about getting this done, but I do, but you know, it, it's a victory nonetheless. Of course. And I wouldn't say this is a very action-packed show. It's definitely more of a slice-of-life school kind of uh, like dramedy, I guess. But when the action does kick in, it's a lot of fun to watch, especially since, you know, it's magic. Mm-hmm. You can go wild on it. And especially since most of the students have very uh, specific special magic that they um that, you know, they specialize in illusion magic, plant magic, abomination magic, and then Luz does the, like, paper magic. And I, well, and especially with the final, the battle between Edna, uh, Ida, and her sister, uh, Lilith, is great. Probably the best animated sequence of the show's history so far. I, I agree. And, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I have I have to kind of scold the internet for a second because oh yeah because I think I think too many people jumped to conclusions once it was revealed that it was Lilith who who placed the curse on on Ida yeah so many people and Just... like even even I did for a little bit were yeah. furious at Lilith um, without, without, hear, without hearing her side of the story. Right. And it becomes much more uh, sympathetic when you find out what, hap- what actually happens and her relationship with Ida. And what did you think about the main villain by for, Matthew? For Bellos? Yeah, by uh, Matthew Rice. First of all, I love I love um, I love his performance. It's it's playful but also menacing at the same time. Oh, he's a creepy villain. I, I think maybe a little basic right now, but very imposing and intimidating. And the fact that he doesn't even have to like do the circle thing like with other magic users, it's um, <laughs> it's like it just shows that he's powerful i i also i also just love like the the mystique surrounding him like as as far as far as we know we 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 know that emperor bellos has only been in power for the last 50 years but there there's there's things about him that are very unlike the other witches of the boiling isles for one it see, it seems like it seems like his his magic is it's it's not of that world like right. when we first meet him we see him uh, guzzling down um, bile from a palisman right pouring it right into his eyes oh. <laughs> which 
Which, which led which led to a lot of people theorizing that Belos is like like lose a human. I could see that. Some people are are suggesting that she might be Luz's uh, dad, but I'm not sure on that. I'm sure that's just kind of like one of the first assumptions because it's like we're thinking he's human. What kind of human is he? And I hope they don't do that, but we'll have to see. Um, um, I hold on I, Some, yeah. something something else that's different about Bellows as yeah. in terms of his magic abilities yeah if you, if you notice his staff it doesn't have a palisman but it's more it's 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 a more it, it looks like he's wield he's wielding magic technology as opposed to i guess pure magic yeah most of the wizards and with witches in this show use wands or staffs with like a little animal companion at the top and um but his was definitely way more futuristic than everyone else's. So, and yeah, spoilers. Uh, he's building a portal, and that portal looked awfully sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. Um. Dis Disney Animation loves their portals. Oh, they really do. And, but I will say, I also like some of the minor villains. Like I liked Warden Wrath, who was voiced by Roger Craig Smith. Where he was like, finally, Ida, I have you where I want you. Will you please go out with me? <laughs> and then you see the hitchman in the back, like, you can do it, boss. And like, again, this show is funny. It knows how to flip everything and like make it interesting. Like uh, when Ida is captured, and by the way, Ida has a curse on her. And like we mentioned, and she turns into this owl monster a couple times in the show and then almost permanently at, in the finale and when Luz, Luz is trying to uh, like get into the uh, where the what is the, uh, the the Emperor's Coven they're like we have to do something so diabolical so evil that we'll have to be thrown in instantly and then one of uh, Warden Rat uh, Rath's henchman is just walking by and they're like, hey! And they're, they're standing in the grass and it says <laughs> don't, like, don't step on the glass, uh, grass. And then the henchman's like, oh! And then they just get instantly thrown into a <laughs> into a jail cell. <laughs> like, carriage. And, oh, I mean, like I said, the show is so creative and witty with its writing. And, and, uh, it, it's also very deep. It's not like infinity train mature but it definitely hits a lot of mature themes and i'm just so happy cartoons are like this right now like they're not just comedy machines they're there's substance to the shows now it's not just a real it's not an uncommon thing anymore yeah um i i i love the the way the show is written how there's there honestly is like a little bit like a little bit of something there for everyone um th those those who prefer more character driven shows will will fall in love with this instantly um and if if you're already a fan of like previous disney shows like ducktales or gravity falls mm -hmm. 
this this is basically this is basically the spiritual sequel to Gravity Falls because a um, Alex Kirsch, Alex, yeah, Alex Hirsch is involved. Not not only voicing King and Hootie, but he's also credited as like the creative consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they also they also have like um, like little hidden hidden messages um, throughout oh, yeah. throughout the series. Yeah, no, I think that's very smart. I didn't notice that until I looked it up, and it's just like it's a great show. I like, <laughs> I really want to rewatch it now, but I know we have a lot on our plates for the next few episodes. Of course. Now, I will say I have a few complaints, but really these are very minor complaints. One, I think it takes a little too long to get the show going. I mean, luckily there are. 19 episodes but it takes about three or so episode three or four episodes before you even get to the witch school and then by the end of it they unloaded a lot in that last episode just a lot of plot elements that will supposedly come in late at later points i think they either needed to make that final episode longer or make it a two or make that whole thing a three-parter because there was just a lot um honestly i think i think my biggest issue with the series i i do i do agree i would have i would have loved if episode 19 was was like a 46 minute finale like like a ducktales ducktales usually does Mm -hmm. and i think i think honestly the first episode while while it's still packed with like funny uh visual gags I think it's it's also kind of the the weakest in terms of in terms of like the writing because I think this is the one time where the message is a little bit heavy handed with mm-hmm. the whole with the whole weirdos have to stick together. Yeah. Although although the call the callback in episode nineteen is that that was nice. Yeah, that was super touching. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm glad they're getting a second. Se- I'm super happy they're getting a second season. Oh, I, I am I, I am so excited for for what they have planned uh, for season two. Yeah, no, I no matter what we say, we're super excited, and they I, I just love the world. I love the characters, and I like how they interweave like character like minor character characters. Like in one episode, you'll see like a monster hunter, and then he'll he'll come back later if his team has pest control, <laughs> and um. And the leader is voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, which well, I'm I, always happy to see. Yeah, he. I mean, this whole uh, cast is great with uh, like Tati Gabrielle, Isaac Ryan Brown, May Whitman, uh, Wendy Malick, uh, Bumper Robinson, uh, Sissy Jones, Eden Regal, Erica Limbeck, Harvish China, Isabella Rosalini, uh, which I really I liked her performance. Uh, JB Blanc. Jorge Diaz, um, Roger Craig Smith, Mela Lee, and Matthew Rice, and even Dana Terrace uh, gets to voice um, a the conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah, ti- tiny nose. Yeah, tiny. <laughs> um, man, I just love this show. And, well, one thing I I want to like before we move on or conclude, I love the ending 
credit sequence. I love the animation in that. It's not the most flashy. It's a walk cycle as Luz, Luz goes through her, uh, like all the locations. But there's something so mesmerizing and calming about it. And just her like reactions to certain parts. I don't know. I had I had a day or two where I was hooked on just watching that ending credit sequence without the credits on. It it, it reminds me of um, like a lot of anime and um, closing credits. Oh, exactly. It's 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 almost like the uh, Konosuba ending where it's like all the manic crazy stuff happens and then the ending is super chill and calming. Um. And yeah, I think. If Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, I think, was still the best new cartoon of 2020. But I think, like, uh, Owl House is it's in the top five, maybe second or third, depending on how we would place our next show. But Yeah, um, I, I, I'm going to save my, my top five for a later, a later episode of this podcast. But I, yeah. will say, I will say definitively this, this gets up there. This is in the top five. Yeah, I man, I, I love, this show has made me realize I need to catch up on a lot of Disney's animated cartoons because I kind of, I dropped off right around when uh, Kim Possible was ending its run and I didn't really care for the other stuff that was there. And yeah, that, that was that was kind of my drop off too, but um, I've, I ever since DuckTales, I have, I've been trying to, to catch up on the rest. Once now, now that the Owl House is finished, I will finally um, catch up with Tangled, Big Hero Six, Gravity Falls, Amphibia, um, Amphibia and um, Big City Big Green. Green. There's eventually I will have completed my um, my 2010s and above um, Disney. Catch up. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely be doing an episode on Amphibia once the second season wraps up, and maybe uh, Big City Greens too. I I I have to say the one clip I saw from Big City Greens, what, and I think I shared it with you on Twitter, saying like, "Okay, we have to talk about this show." Yep. Was his cop being like, "Man, it's such a great day. It's it's a nice day for a lean," and he leans against his car, and then his foot gets run over instantly. <laughs> He's like. That's not good. <laughs> like I swear, Disney's kind of hit a new like, string like string of like hit cartoons, and I and I love that. It's like revitalizes the channel a little. It it really does. And uh, <laughs> oh man, just yeah. Once Owl House comes onto Disney Plus, watch that show. It's so good. Yes. Like even complaints aside, great show. Um. I, I this this is one of the easiest shows that I can recommend for for people if if you've already been a fan of Disney series before this, then I'm sure you're gonna love this. Oh yeah, just watch it. Just watch it. <laughs> um now another show that could really use our support is um a Netflix collaboration with Nickelodeon called Glitch Text. Yes. So uh, let's talk a quick little history about this because this show has quite a history. 
So this was produced by Nickelodeon Animation Studio and the animation services at by Top Draw Animation and Flying Bark Productions. This show was originally announced back in 2016 and then it kind of dropped off the face of the earth. And then uh, last year it was kind of like stalled. Um, and there was a little worry that it was actually never going to come out. But they made sure to say that the show was not canceled. And then Nickelodeon, and I'm sure Viacom mostly, were like, you know what, put it on Netflix. We'll just put it there. And there are two seasons of it right now. So I've watched, I mean, we've both watched both seasons that are out right now. Uh, Mike, uh, what would you say are your overall thoughts before we start with the uh, premise and whatnot? Um, overall, I don't think I've, I don't think I've had this much fun with a Nickelodeon action comedy series since the first two seasons of Danny Phantom. Like I, like, I think, I think this is much better animated. Um, it has a very, it has like a breakneck, uh, speed. Mm -hmm. Um, all the characters are like like the characters are so endearing um the world is fascinating o overall i i think this is this is this is a winner for all parties involved yeah i really like this show at first i was like i don't know uh some of the video game kind of centric cartoons that have come out recently have not impressed me or it's like they rely too much on like oh it's a video game thing don't worry about it and then it's like, okay, but if there's not, like we keep saying, there has to be something else. And there's a reason why some of those shows have not lasted or have been instantly forgotten. Um, but I think let's talk about the premise. Basically, Glitch Text is if you combine Men in Black with Ghostbusters, a Sprinkle of Pixels, and... What was the other show that you compared it to? All right, what did you compare it to? Um, I, I, oh, I, oh Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. So the show is about um, these two teens named Hector, uh, a.k.a. High Five, uh, Nieves, and Miko, M-E-K-O, uh, Kubota, in the city of Bailey, where they meet during this big... Um, video game tournament held by this big tech company um what's the tech company called shoot um hinobi yeah hinobi and basically we all those descriptions of how we describe the show are accurate because when games in this world glitch something bad happens <laughs> the glit the the video game characters leave their games and into the real shows. I mean, into the real life. And cause havoc. And they're called, well, glitches. And basically, uh, Hinobi sets out a team of, like, basically glitch busters. Where they take care of the glitches and then uh, uh, memory wipe the people there so you, you don't know that they exist. However, Miko does not get her mind wiped. Something about her 
prevents that. And she then uh, tells Hector that it's like, hey, something's up and we got screwed over. And they end up joining Kenobi by the end to become glitch techs, where they save the day, stop some glitches, and deal with uh, just people in their lives. First off, I, let's talk about the animation. If the if you look at clips from this show or GIFs, and you think, man, this kind of looks like Rise of the TMNT, well, that's because, well, if it, I think this is the same studio that works on it. Yep. And you can tell because the characters are maybe limited when the action's not hitting, but they're expressive, like quirky. And then when the action does kick in, the action is very anime inspired, very of that flavor from that studio where it's just outrageous, outlandish, and like really creative because, you know, you're dealing with glitches and there are many kinds of glitches as a former quality assurance tester, I can attest to this. I had to basically quit a day of work because we had to kept, we kept getting stopped by a showstopper bug where the game kept crashing. And it was, um, and yeah, I, I just think the action's great. And it does seem like we don't get a lot of action shows these days that aren't like anime. And, and the action in this is refreshing because a lot of their uh, weapons are somewhat from games or they act like power-ups from games. Like you get jet boots, a uh, hammer, guns, and uh, they use like portal technology with their vehicles to get from place to place. It, it's, it's really creative. I, I have to say they really went all the way with the video game aspect of this show. Yeah, that's that. That's also something that kind of reminds you of of Danny Phantom a little bit. How the basically like the monster of the week is something very specific to like a video game that they yeah. that they're either like obsessed with in the moment or something random that they come across. Yeah, yeah. Like, now, like they they have yeah. a lot of fun with like the monster of the week designs. Yeah, and they go it, like they go all out. Like there are like one episode has them dealing with villains or characters from a multiplayer game like which are basically referencing overwatch and stuff like in games like that which you can tell that, that this game came out in 2016 because of that reference alongside uh the later five nights at freddy's uh parody oh. or reference or yeah. homage but it's a lot of fun and they add little twists and turns like the uh multiplayer glitch you can't kill one of them and that's it you have to take down all of them and you have to take them down like you would in a multiplayer game or like you have to get rid of a possessor glitch who can actually possess someone. And in this case, uh, one of Hector's friends gets possessed by the glitch and turns into a video game character from a game they like. But by the way, did you, did you notice how that like that game is, is basically like an homage to Thundercats? Yeah. It's, it's a Thundercats an extreme dinosaurs and street sharks kind of, homage and then it's like and then uh season two they bring in a character who mods glitches and if you are big into gaming and especially in the pc games modding is a huge deal and i i just think that's great because a lot of times when you hear about like oh this is going to be a very video game centric show you kind of expect the worst or at least the most cringe inducing 
uh, tropes. Like some people will be like, like uh, I don't know if you remember hearing about this, but the Law and Order SVU episode that tried to handle toxic uh, gamers and such. Oh, I think and, I remember that. Yeah, and where it's like Ice um, Ice T was like, "Yo, man, I heard this game was." like by Kotaku was better than Civilization V, including all the expansions. And it's like, oh my God, someone just randomly looked up a bunch of stuff and did not take into how that would come out or come off. Yeah, this this show feels, it feels like it's, they, they, they strike like the right balance between- References. Yeah, and- between like loving homages to video games, but it all, but at the same time, it doesn't come off like, it doesn't come off too inside baseball. Like, no, I, it's not. I've, it's I've not admitted, super pandering. Yeah, like I've, I've admitted before to not to not being the biggest gamer, but at least at least I'm familiar enough with with the gaming culture that I I can pick out references like Castlevania or or Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, no, they're they're universal references. Even if you can maybe or like uh, the bird character ally or Ally is like a parody of the chocobos from final fantasy and like it's smart it's not too like yeah like you said it's not too insiders baseball and the dialogue is great i like the characters are very distinct from one another and i this is probably one of the more inclusive shows that i've seen like not only do you have a like hispanic male lead a asian female lead you have uh, middle eastern african-american white like it's like the full spectrum of uh, people yeah like this this is what diversity looks like short of um i i didn't i don't recall seeing any lgbtq um representation but you know no show no show is perfect yeah no and it's gonna be there sooner or later and i wouldn't be shocked if there was something that the creators um eric robles and dan milano have yet to tell us about some of the characters because they do characters like you find out that um the different hq uh, hanobi stores are by different uh like counties so if you like early on it's like you can't cross the county line of one if you're trying to chase after some glitches because then it becomes that county line's uh problem and not theirs my, my favorite thing about that episode is how it's not even an official rule it's just Phil and and uh, what's her name uh, like uh, Joan Fishback? <laughs> yeah, played played by Jane Lynch. Uh, perfect casting. Yeah. Yes. Um, but my favorite thing about about that episode is how it's not it's not an official rule. It's just it's just, it's basically like an unwritten like an unwritten uh, code. Yeah, um, it, it, it's petty. <laughs> yeah, it's it's extremely petty. That's why I love it. Oh gosh, uh, Jane Lynch has some of the best lines of that episode, and it, like I said, it's a funny show without relying on the video game stuff. And just like the Owl House, it elevates a lot of the characters. Like, well, first off, the two leads do not end up together. There's no sense of that happening. Yeah, they're, and I they're, love they're, that. They're just, they're just buddies. They're just buddies, and you can do that. You can be friends with, like, male, female gamers. You can just be friends. And it's so, I don't know why that's so hard to get through with a lot of gamer, male gamers. 
but you know there are some nightmare stories about that kind of stuff that makes gaming and media and pop culture gatekeepy toxic bs and i like that they're just friends and i know like they, this isn't like the first show to do that like disney's doing it, this a lot and nickelodeon and cartoon network are doing it but i like that it, it's not I like that the trope is that there you don't have to be together if you're like one male male and one female character like lead, and just like with Owl House, they take the supposed snobbiest like bully character Mitch Williams, voiced by Luke Youngblood, and they do like he is obnoxious, like but that's kind of the point, and I wouldn't be shocked if that's like he kind of represents some of the bigger video game streamers out there and video game YouTubers. Oh, he, he, he absolutely is a send, a send up of, of that personality. Yeah. And, oh, I love the episode where it's, where it's like, you think he learned something, but then he steals the uh, experience points. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry that I might be stuck with you scrub lords. (laughs) 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 But then they make him likable, like endearing when you are introduced to his family. And I gotta say that's that's one of the most surprising episodes of of season two. Because yeah. I was I was not sure like I didn't think that, that they would go that far. Like I mean, yes, characters are supposed to evolve and eventually we were supposed to find Mitch likable. Yeah. Um I didn't I didn't think this would be this would be how they pull it off. I mean, I had a sneaking suspicion when he got all defensive about that one place. Yeah, yeah. No, um, the, the episode starts out where they're they're given an assignment to permanently rid of this place that was like a hot spot for glitches, and you catch yeah, you suspect something because he's very protective of that one spot because he far, like quote unquote farms experience points there, but you but there's more to it, and it's. And they said like they want to elevate the pro- the materials given to them for this show. And another thing I liked from season two, especially, was the quote unquote "find the glitch slash clip show" episode. Because yeah. at first, I, and I said this on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh no, I just no, I don't want to see a clip show out of something like this." But then it gets creative, and it gives you a little treat at the end of that there might actually be a glitch walking among them and not uh, Miko. So, and I thought that was very good. They just kind of slip it in at the end. And this, this show so far is good at building up little mysteries about like, why can't Miko get mind wipes? Who is this supposed glitch? And why did um, Bit, the binary intelligence tech trainer, who's voiced by Dan Milano himself, has so much backed up memory. And why does he have video footage of the store owner, uh, Phil, like, and I just think that's great. And even when they're like thinking that Miko might be the, the glitch and they're like all like doing the whole thing, it's like, oh, it's her, obviously. And then you see Hector about to turn a dial and then like he doesn't. And his reasoning behind it is super touching. Mm-hmm. Like, this show is, like, it's obviously this show is aimed at a slightly younger audience, but not enough to be on the level of Cleopatra in space. Like, I think this is 
way better than that show in terms of being a show for younger audiences. Oh, but I do like the fact that they they get rid of the one trope I was dreading of mm. like the parents hating that their kid plays video games. Oh yeah, they 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 found they found a swift way around that, which was yes. which was really nice. Yes, and it was just like, oh my gosh, Hector's grandparents are super supportive of Hector's gaming skills, and then they find a way for Miko's parents to be uh to be okay with it. And I love that they get rid of that out of the way. Just get that out of the way. And Although, as one criticism I have about the Find the Glitch episode, and everyone's suspicion that um, that Miko is the is the glitch, I thought personally that the the clear explanation for why she can't reset is because she was at home during the tournament so she she never she never got reset that first time so i i just figured like well okay so i think she's good then for the rest of for the rest of her life but i guess there is a little bit more to her yeah i think my one little complaint about uh glitch tech is that they're depending on what happens, they might be building up for a whole lot of nothing. Like, it's very Monster of the Week, very episodic, a very serialized uh, storytelling. And to be clear, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just... Oh, no, absolutely not. It, it's just, the tr- like, the trend right now with, with uh, television is, generally speaking, shows are more story-centric than episodic. yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm just hoping I'm just worried because this is just like Infinity Train glitch text is on that chopping block. So uh, that that's why I'm kind of worried about how they will uh, handle it. Like like I hope they, I hope like I said I hope they don't get canceled. I want to see more of this. But I one little minor nitpick I had is I wish the non battle animation was a little more expressive. Everyone kind of has like the same animation mannerisms. And with such like a diverse cast of characters, I want their like animation to be a little more unique amongst themselves. That's not just them playing video games or doing their glitch tech work. It, um, it's something that it's something I kind of picked up or, or like I, I guess I was just thinking of something like Hotel Transylvania where everyone has a different walk cycle. Yeah, that's like, that that's that's what that's one thing they could have tweaked a little bit, like like it looks a little too like simple flash animation but but i mean the the show still looks great i'm not saying like oh every part's dirt cheap until the action kicks in that's not the case the show is consistently good looking but there are points where i was like i wish there was a little more personality in everyone because everyone has a unique personality to them or like just a little more something if they can of course yeah but um uh any other thoughts or should we just uh do our like conclusion for 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 my final thoughts i think that if you haven't seen glitch text yet and you're curious um watch it if 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 you if you're into animation at all just give the series a chance you you are more than guaranteed to love it yeah i think so far this will be in my top 10 of the year um just creative, vibrant, funny, endearing, touching, just great all around. Please watch the show because they've set up a few mysteries that I want to see get solved. And 
it just has a good cast of characters, and I, I just really like all the kids. Like, like I said, I really like this show. Like, complaints aside, please watch this show. There are so many other shows that need to support more than, like, The Legend of Korra right now. I mean, and nothing against Avatar and The Legend of Korra, but that show has had its four seasons. This one needs to keep... Glitch Tech needs more support than Korra Agreed. right now. Um, one, one more thing before we move on to our final uh, series... Yeah. If if you had to pick one favorite character, who who would yours be? I think my favorite would be uh, Zara Fazal, the uh, one of the senior glitch techs that's usually on Mitch's team, the one with the uh, uh, hood. Oh, with the burka. Yeah, with the burka. I think she's just. I like her c- kind of cool girl attitude, but then also like, oh, I forgot my house and my wallet <laughs> line. Um, when she's like kind of hitting on uh Hector mm-hmm. and I I love it when they take down that big possessor glitch um and she just pulls out a big old gatling gun and she's just like let's get this done and <laughs> but uh I also like Miko also like those if I have to say my two favorite characters it's Miko and Zara yeah M- Miko I think is easily my favorite um I like High Five but it's it's Miko and what's what's the other one's name um um, Which one? The the curly haired one. Oh 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 um. Bergy. Yeah. Yes. And I just oh shout outs to Cree Summers as Geraldine Lawson, a friend of uh, Hector's. Oh. Who, uh, she owns the retro arcade store at, in that episode, and I'm like, I, like again, I've said like I love all the new ta- talent that's coming in. But I'll always have a special place in my heart for voice actors like Cree Summers. Yeah, same. And, um, no, no, yeah, just watch this show. Support it, please. Just give this an Infinity Train support. All right. And now we move on to our final series, the one, the one anim- anime of, of the week, Great Pretender. Yes. So this is a original anime, uh, which is something you don't hear often. And... You you take away, you take away this one. Okay, uh, so yeah. so this this series is it's it's a it's a series about con men. We have our main protagonist um, Makoto Edamura, who who's a you know a small time Japanese con man aspiring to greater things. He falls in with with Laurent uh, Theory. Yeah, Laurent Laurent Theory. Yeah, who is the expert French con man. I love I love how the dub the dub calls them uh, confidence men. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And with uh, Lawrence crew is Ab- Abigail Jones or Abby, who is the like the snarky second in command. Yeah, kind of the muscle. <laughs> you have Cynthia Moore, who's who uses her fem- feminine charms and acting skills to manipulate their targets, and then you have. Kudo. We have Kudo, who was uh, Edamame's boss, yeah, and, and Kim Siwon. Don't you mean Edamura, not Edamame? <laughs> Which is, by the way, that's a reoccurring gag, is that Edamura is called Edamame. And yeah, Kim, uh, Kim yeah, Siwon. And really, it turns into a basically Ocean's Eleven slash leverage, if that's, if you want to description of what happens they basically go after targets who are i mean they're con men but they're like 
the chaotic good <laughs> of, yeah. on the on the, uh, on the uh, spectrum, and they go after like a a movie tycoon selling drugs, two brothers, uh, Middle Eastern bro- uh, oil tycoon brothers that are rigging fly, uh, plane races, and a and a art critic or uh, inspector who um, is basically conning a rich widow um, out of her money to buy a bunch of priceless uh, art for his own collection. Or at least that's it so far. They've only released the first three cases. There's nine episodes that have yet to be shown. Um, but so, but so far, these these first three cases, which honestly really do feel like a a heist film trilogy. Yeah, I adored like these first fourteen episodes. Yeah, this was a great anime series, and that's saying something in a year where we've had Doro Hidoro, Japan Sinks, BNA, B Stars, and Princess Connect. It's unique because I don't see that many shows and. And, and especially anime and just animation in general that are like heist comedies. You don't see that often because, and I don't know why. I'm guessing it's like, it's kind of hard to keep coming up with heists and cons to uh, top one after another. But I think it's very unique in that aspect alone. Even if this show was underwhelming, which is not, it's not. I like that its premise sticks out to me, you know? Yeah. And I, I like I like how the heists don't overstay their welcome. Like you're 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 given like a like a certain number of episodes to set up the target, lay out the plan, execute the plan, and then have some sort of resolution. Yeah, and something that this show does better than like shows like Leverage. Each case, while it might mostly be about screwing these horrible people out of money and whatever they focus on different characters like a different personal story to the characters like the first one's about makoto the second one's about abigail and then the third one is about cynthia and i'm guessing from the teasing of the final episode the next one's going to be about lorenz but that's just a guess that's just me assuming and another thing that i like about this show are is the music the very jazzy blues cowboy bebop kind of soundtrack yeah i I was i was gonna say like this is this is one of those anime that that almost works better as like watching it as the dub versus if you watch this in the original japanese it's it's almost like this and cowboy bebop are examples of basically the like the perfect and like gateway drug for wet for like western audiences yeah it's these those two anime have something in common from what I observed is that they have more Western ideals, like more Western tones and themes, which might not make them popular in Japan, but will be more approachable to like US audiences and other audiences from around the world. Because a lot of times with anime, it's kind of hard to like, as much as I love Doro Hidoro, I don't think I would recommend that as a first anime to show someone. Oh yeah, no, that's that that's that's for a more seasoned uh, anime fan. Yeah, it's definitely something you show after you show them Great Pretender and and Cowboy Bebop and the like. Um, 
And I found, and luckily they made each of the heists interesting. There was a different goal in mind with each of them. And because after a while, you with like heist shows and such like leverage, they all start blending together. Or some of them get so absurd where it's like, okay, I'll just enjoy the ride as they try to make this work. <laughs> and like we said, that I like these characters. They actually add layers to them. Like Abigail comes off first as like this stick in the mud, just do your job, scrub uh, kind of individual. But then you find out why she's like that. And then uh, the femme fatale of the crew, Cynthia, is more than that. And I think that's, it's smart. The show by uh, director Hiro uh, Kaburagi and by assistant director Ryoji Masuyama, I think they did a good job with giving layers to the overall story. Mm, yeah. That's, that, that's, that's something I, um, I put it out in my own, in my own post um, on social media. I said like that if, if this show was only about the heists, it would be fun. But what gives us staying power is how emotionally invested you get in each heist. How, how every, each heist like means, it means something to one of the characters. Like, um, I, think, I think it's no secret that probably one of my, one of my favorites is the third, the third case. Yeah, snow in London. Yep, and in this in this one, we we learn a little bit more about Cynthia, how she had she had dreams of becoming an actress, kind of felt like fell in love with a starving artist, and I guess part of the reason why she's so hell bent on taking down this art appraisal is that he is he's the reason why their relationship fell apart so fast. Yeah. And, and and what and watching that, I I'd be lying if I said I didn't fight back a few tears because I wanted so bad for our heroes to come out on top. Yeah, and yeah, it, they're very touching stories and very complex. They're all very complex characters. Like so far, of course, we see Laurent as this kind of snobby uh, jerk off of a character who's just like, oh, I know everybody hates me, but I run but I revel in it. But they do give him nuance from time to time. And especially at the end, he's just like, oh, well, isn't that always the case? Why don't, like, what do you think? Uh, Then he says, like, a name, and he's looking at a ring that he keeps around his neck. And it's like, ooh, I wonder what that story entails. And even Makoto, as a con man, like, he's good, or, like, good as he thinks he is as one. But there's more to him. Like, he didn't want to be a con man. He wanted to be an honest working man and then got screwed over by a few con jobs gone wrong and then personal incidences screwing over his life. And, and, but I will say, I think Cynthia and Abigail have the better stories. But only because... they do. But only because Makoto has to be that uh, middleman like the ones that the audiences have to connect to. But I do hope that the next nine episodes kind of get rid of his, okay, after this job, I'm done. And yeah, that, I, that got a little annoying. Yeah. It's like, it's like, get over it. Just join the heist. You'd like it. And like, that's probably the only major complaint I have is that his, his character is not, he's not the greatest lead 
character. It, it almost falls into that trap of everyone else being way more interesting than him, but he's still interesting enough. Though when I say he's more interesting than like Kaiman, no, from Doro Hidoro, mm. absolutely not. But I will say one thing I do like about the show, and it apparently like this is a thing with the sub version that like the at the uh, actors that they get actually go through with the accents when they're like speaking English or French and then they keep that for part of the dub and it'll and it pops up mm, about twice but I think that's very cool like I, I, I at least I think that's very interesting of how they handle the dub. I, I, I would have liked if if they were a little bit more consistent with that like if if Laurent had a like he if he kept his uh, French accent throughout the like throughout the series but then yeah. But then again, I also understand that he's a con man, so he also needs he also needs to be more uh, He needs to be a jack of all trades kind of character. Exactly. And yeah, no, I wish they did that a little more with the dub, but I think uh Stephanie Shea and her team uh did a great job with the dub. They were very uh diverse with the casting. Like they didn't just like one of the things that kind of keeps me from fully enjoying something like Kenga and Ashura is it is the fact that the two the only two black characters you meet in that show in the English dub are dubbed by by white guys, and it's kind of unfortunate since one of them is Richard Epcar, and he's using that bo 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 voice. If you ever oh. ever seen that show, and it's a little distracting because it's like other shows on anime on Netflix are not that uh, dismissive of the casting, like uh, the uh, uh, what was it Baki series on Netflix. They get black act voice actors for the black characters, and and for here for the, for a great pretender, everyone is basically casted by ethnicity, or like there's no one, there's like there's not a white girl playing a black person or a black woman or anything like that. Let's just say that, um, like you get like you got Alan Lee as Makoto, Aaron B. Phillips as Laurent, uh, Kasar Mohammed as Abigail, Lauren Post as Cynthia, Mike Pollock, who's a great voice actor for Kudo, uh, Karen Huey uh, as Kim C. Wan, uh, uh, Fred Tatoschiori as Eddie Cassano, the uh, movie director. Perfect casting, I gotta say. Yeah, I, I he, love whenever Fred uh, Tadishore comes comes aboard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then you have Elaine Mesa as Salazar, the right hand to Eddie. Uh, then you got Jameson Price as Inspector Anderson. Uh, Veronica Taylor as Miki Edamura, uh, Makoto's uh, mother. Uh, Tiana Camacho as Christina during that little sub heist where uh, she's getting fired by an obvious, by a maybe pseudo obvious Trump uh, parody at the beginning of the sec of the uh, second uh, case. Um, and let's see, you also have Abe Martel as Sam Ibrahim, uh, the older brother who's in charge of the of the racing uh, case, and uh, his, and then Ariane Kassam, uh, who's a, who plays his brother Clark, and then Neil Kaplan, who plays Lewis Mueller, the uh, ex-pilot, then Lupica Shaw as Isabel Mueller, uh, Cassandra Lee Morris, tra uh, Trevor Duvall plays the art, uh, what, uh, the the art guy, the art. Oh, uh, James, uh, James Coleman. James Coleman, yeah. Uh, Eric Tiede as Thomas Meyer, the uh, artist that's set that Cynthia was in a relationship with. Julie uh, Nat, uh, uh, Nathanson as Farrah Brown, the old woman that uh, James Coleman is mooching off of. Uh, Rich Orlo, Joe Ackman, Kirk Thornton, uh, the, the one black guy that you see quickly in the first case, uh, Wolf Williams. 
by the way, I have to say, Neil Kaplan does a great job doing a parody of Steven Seagal during that first. And the, the fact that his character's name is Razzy. <laughs> I, I love I that little touch. And, uh, and then you got like Steve Kramer and then Kyle McCarley, who plays like this is one side pilot during the racing arc. And Kyle was the same guy who played, who was uh, the antagonist of Infinity Train book three. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so as you could, I kind of spotted his voice instantly. So I was like, oh, I recognize that guy. And then, and yeah, no, it's a good cast. And um, really, I don't have any other complaints outside of Makoto and then some of the dub language stuff, but um, yeah, like a lot of a lot of my um, complaints are, are just that, like kind of te- technical nitpicks. Yeah, and um, but I have to say the animation for this show is great. Probably one of the most vibrant looking shows of 2020. And I've seen the technique that they're using before because the upcoming animated film words bubbling up like cider kind of uses the same kind of technique. But I just love the uh, how would you describe the art style like. Not the character designs themselves, but like the backgrounds. Um, like very mosaic. Yeah. And it, it's just like vibrant. The it, characters are expressive. Their designs are great. I think everybody, you can, even if you could uh, turn off the sound, and even though this is anime, you could kind of tell what the characters are just by their designs. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like they, they, they have very distinct um, designs. Visual. Yeah, like you could tell Kudo is like the old man, kind of like joyful kind of one. Then you got Kim C. Wan, who's just like the elderly, like snarky, um, just awesome character. Abigail's more the stone-hearted individual. And then Laurent is the playboy. Um, and we really can't talk about this show. Like we can't really conclude this show without talking about the ending. Mike? <laughs> um, okay, so Great Pretender... It has a great ending theme because they they use the song "The Great Pretender" by the Platters, which was later covered by Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Um, and if you know me, you know I'm a big I'm a big Queen fan. So when I heard when I heard the the closing credits for the first time, I got really excited. <laughs> That's something you don't see often in anime, where they get uh, like an English song or like just as uh, just like something like that in general which is interesting and oh and i i love the ending sequence i i've also watched the ending credits without the credits uh because it like it it does like the great pretender with cats <laughs> it's it makes up for the fact that we had an awful cats movie last year <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it makes it it's like this is what the cats movie should have been Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a bunch of cats singing singing the song that's sung by uh freddie mercury <laughs> but yeah i think like i know we're kind of keeping some plot elements out but it, I, it really I, we want we want you to see this show yeah this yeah. this is one of those where it we sh- we shouldn't tell you the plot because we will like we want you to be surprised we want you to go in um like Go in cold and just just enjoy enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I will say this though, like, um, if if you're if you're new to anime, but but you're a fan of the Oceans trilogy or Catch Me If You Can or any other like heist 
um, like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and then 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 this series is like a great entry point for you. Yeah, if you liked shows like Leverage, but now you want you need a leverage alternative due to uh, the lead being a less than stellar individual, definitely watch Great Pretender. It's easily one of my favorite anime of the year. It's up there with uh, Doro Hidoro and B Stars. As probably, I think outside a few technical things and the fact that we haven't seen the final case yet might hold it back from being in top five for the anime of the year, but it might as well just be in the top five, maybe top three. Just a fun, unique series, and that's what we need right now. We need something that's unique and then it catches you off guard. Yeah, I I agree. Um, this this was certainly one of the more unique anime that I've seen in the like in the past decade. Yes, same here. I definitely want to see if I can get a poster of the of Great Pretender because it just looks like I would love to have it on my wall. <laughs> yeah, because the the like the art. The art in this series is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so before before we wrap up uh, this episode, um, we always like to end on a few extra recommendations. Cameron, I'll let, I'll let you go first. Anything anything that springs to mind? Well, I'll do like a here's what I'm currently watching right now kind of thing. I'm catching up on a an anime from I think two years ago called Made in Abyss which is this dark fantasy anime about a kid who lives in this world where this one city um, is is surrounding this giant abyss, this giant hole that's full of relics, prehistoric creatures, and other oddities. And one day she encounters this robot that saves her uh, from uh, getting eaten by one of those giant predators that's in the abyss. And... I won't say what else happens. I, and I know this show is old, but I still want to give people like the mystery of like where did the robot come from and what's actually down in the abyss. It's a very beautiful show, great soundtrack, very good visuals, interesting designs for like the young kid characters and the adults. There are some parts I'm not fully fond of, but it's mostly because it's like it. They're the characters are kids, and then sometimes those more ickier anime tropes come in and it's like i'm not here for that please just get back to the story Hmm. it's not as bad as other shows i've seen do this but it's happened twice now and they're not the worst i think shows like goblin slayer did it worse uh but still like but those are just minor nitpicks right now because the rest of the show is great it's a slow burn but you'll definitely want to watch it and it has a pretty good team behind it with a uh, Australian music composer Ooh. Uh, work, working on the music, and it sounds great. It sounds like a really good old-fashioned Final Fantasy RPG. Um, and the art director worked on a bunch of Studio Ghibli films, like Spirited Away, House Moving Castle, and Ponyo. And it, that's, um, it's very obvious to see. And if you want to catch it, uh, subbed or dubbed, uh, Sentai Filmworks brought it over with, uh, and it's on their streaming service, High Dive, which you can also get alongside Crunchyroll on if you get a Verve subscription, which I think everyone should, because that's, you can knock out two anime subscription services in one. And it's a great, has a great mystery to it, and I can't wait. Apparently I'm in, in for some wild stuff. 
But my one recommendation, and I was thinking about this because of my recent review of The Princess and the Pilot, my recommendation goes out to the Studio Ghibli film Porco Rosso, a, which is about a World War I fighter pilot who is cursed with being a humanoid pig. And it just goes about his life as a bounty hunter and just has some deep themes about war, about humanity, identity, uh, love. It's one of the easier Ghibli... I mean, you can get into the Ghibli films easily with all of them, except for maybe Grave of the Fireflies. Um, but Porco Rosso is so much fun. You And um, it also has a great English cast. So if, if you want to know about that, since you haven't seen the... Uh, in the uh, film yet. Michael Keaton is Porco Rosso. And like it also has Carrie Elways as a bad guy, Susan Egan, Brad Garrett, David Ogden Steers, Kimberly Williams Paisley, Bill Fogerbacher, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Frank Welker all in the cast. And oh, it's such a good movie. It's probably one of my personal favorite Ghibli films alongside Castle in the Sky and Spirited Away. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But that's my recommendation. How about you? Um, I have a recommendation for all you 90s kids out there. My friends over at the PJ Campbell Network have been doing watch-alongs of the Rugrats trilogy, um, movie, movies that I, haven't, that I haven't seen in, like, well over a decade. Um, and all three of them are on Netflix. The Rugrats movie, Rugrats in Paris, and Rugrats uh, Go Wild. Um, if, if I had to choose only one of those um, that I would personally recommend... It would be Rugrats in Paris because it has probably the like the most fun um, plot and kind of the best the best use of Reptar in the, <laughs> in the entire franchise. Like if you if you've never seen the movie before, just just go on YouTube and and look up Rugrat and search for like the Rugrats um, kaiju battle on um, <laughs> on like on the same street as the Champs Elysees. It's <laughs> It, it, it's one, it's one oh, of the most man. amazing sequences I've ever seen in a, in a Nickelodeon movie. So if, if you're feeling nostalgic, um, go check that out. And of course, subscribe to the PJ Campbell Network because they do watch along, animated watch-alongs every Monday. So you're not going to want to miss those. So have you like seen all three of them? Um, I, will be, I will be watching um, Rugrats Go Wild tomorrow night. So, like, so far with, like, the one, the two that you've seen out of the three, how was it, like, coming back? Do you say, like, huh, maybe this part doesn't age well, but this part does? Or do you, like, notice something that, like, you never noticed before? Or um, I, I noticed that, like, well, bo- both, both movies hold up really well. But something I specifically noticed was how, and I even watched a couple episodes of the series, too. This, this series this show never talked down to its audience. Like as a kid, the appeal of, of the Rugrats was all the fantastical adventures that the babies um, embark on. But as you get older, you start to notice how authentic um, the adults speak. Yeah. Like, no, nothing is ever dumbed down. It feels like when you watch the show as an adult, like, like, the, like the adults are so relatable like they they will remind you of members of your family like like your parents or your like cousins uncles your grandparents and as as someone who grew, who grew up um who was raised both catholic and uh jewish i 
there there's a lot of um Dee's parents that re- that remind me a lot of um my dad's side of the family yeah yeah so yeah going going back and revisiting those first two films was definitely I like a nice dose of nostalgia well that's awesome because I haven't watched those movies in forever and I haven't watched the show in <laughs> well equally forever the sh- the show is on uh hulu if if you're if you're ever curious to revisit that interesting yeah i'll give it a watch sounds good to me all right and that'll do it for for episode 14 of tuned up uh, before we go cameron where can everyone find you online well you can find me on twitter at uh at cam's eye view i run my own website called cam's where i review animated films called the other side of animation I just posted my review of The Princess and the Pilot last week, and I'm about to post my review of, oh, what was it? Oh, uh, of my own personal review of Fearless. And then I'm going to work on a review for Summer Days with Ku, a Keiichi Hara-directed film. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camseyeview if you like my work and like to support it. And you can find me on the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook. I'll post from time to time about what our plans are for uh, these tuned up podcasts. Awesome. And you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Captain K42. Check out all my quick thought reviews on letterbox.com slash coach K42. And you can find me in all the various uh, Facebook groups, including ours at Renegade Pop Culture, just at my name. Um, check us out on Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. Listen to us on Anchor and Spotify. And last but not least, don't forget to check out renegadepopculture.com. Need to escape? So do we. That's it for this episode of Tuned Up. We will catch you guys later. Peace. Bye.